Welcome to the Men's ADHD Support Group Podcast. This is Shane Thrapp, Operations Director for the Nonprofit Men's ADHD Support Group and ADHD Life Coach. I am joined today with Christian Ratt. He is an international man of mystery. He is the CEO of Focus101.com, a body doubling service designed to help people, especially those who are neurodivergent, find the community of people working to find their productivity style together. Thank you for coming on, Christian. How are you doing today? Hi, Shane. Thank you for having me. I'm doing great today. Thank you. How about you? I'm pretty good. Dealing with the cold. So y'all who are listening, you may hear my voice do these weird high-pitched things. Can't help it. Editing is only going to do so much. So, Christian, let's jump right into it. What inspired you to create Focus 101 and provide the service? Well, I guess it all started in the pandemic. So many things did, I suppose. I was working at a fintech here in London, and we were going through quite a major project, which was to migrate our current infrastructure from one cloud provider to a different one. And we were doing that over a video call, actually multiple video calls throughout the the weeks. But right on the last day, we pretty much started at 7 a.m. and finished basically after midnight. So as you can imagine, it was quite a tough day. What I did notice during that day and other days as well is that we were all very focused and basically functioning like a well machine. So why why was that happening? I wasn't sure. But it seemed that when we were working together, and it wasn't just like two people, we were sometimes 10 or more from, from various teams coming and going over, over the hours. Um, so long story short, I've noticed that we were working better. And then later I found out it's an actual thing. People are doing this thing called virtual co-working. I didn't even know what body dumping was, was at that point. So I thought, okay, well, this is... This is an interesting thing. So I know tech. I, I got this idea. Let's build this. And I thought I'm going to build it. And I started building it not because it was easy, but because I thought it was going to be easy. It's just a couple of pages, a couple of calendars, and a video call. <laughs> so that's what I thought. So that's kind of how it, how it started. So for those who don't know, what is body doubling? Uh, body doubling is when you work in, in the company of others doing, usually you're doing your own thing while others are doing their thing. So think of it like you're going to the library, everybody's studying. So the way our brains work, we, we tend to take our cues from our surroundings. So if you're in a workplace environment, you tend to do your work, your colleagues do their work and you kind of feel out of place, not doing the same thing as them. But now that we're working remote, so many of us were just at home in our own bedrooms, kitchens. It gets a bit confusing and also distractions are plentiful, whether it's your phone, your cat or your dog. So long story short, body doubling is you're working in the company of others, holding each other accountable. I love body doubling. It's one of those things that really helps me when it comes to trying to get things done because the accountability is there, right? When we get into the call, you have the a great pop-up that comes up and says, talk about your goals, talk about what you're wanting to accomplish. And then at the end of it, you have the other pop-up that says, hey, how did everything go? Let's talk about how that went. There's a certain level 
of accountability there that helps me not get so distracted. Because I know at the end of my call, I'm going to have to talk about the things that I got done. Yep. And I love that about your site. When you were putting this in place, you know, what kind of tools or features do you think offer neurodivergent people the most support when it comes to body doubling? I think the biggest support is the one-to-one session. For me, I found that very, very useful. So what you're mentioning, when you jump in and you have to say what you're going to do, and at the end you say what, what you have done. So that sort of hacks your brain because we tend to be consistent about our self-image. We we all think we're trying to do the right thing. Nobody in their brain is is a villain, right? Or a liar. And if we think ourselves as not liars, then we show up. Well, first of all, you show up on time because there is somebody waiting for you, right? If you if you don't show up, then you're not being very nice. You're wasting somebody else's time. So first of all, you will probably show up. And I can see I can see quite a lot of users struggling to show up. They're doing their best. Sometimes they, they're late, but they generally do show up. Yeah, because we're kind of tapping into our people-pleasing tendencies at that point, correct? We're yeah, like, that's right. this person's waiting on me. I got to be there. And even if it's a little bit, a few minutes late, we're like immediately jumping in. Oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I've done this a thousand yeah. times so far. <laughs> um, this, I get distracted. And... But you do a great job with the reminders as well and like letting us know via email, hey, someone's in your room. Oh, crap. (laughs) You know, it drags this people pleasing thing out of me. What other tools do you all have? So apart from the one to one session, uh, we also have a what we call rooms, which are pretty much 24 seven always open. You can come in and stay for as long as you want. So sometimes You'll come in and you'll see some people, they'll look up when they hear the thing that you joined, they'll wave, you wave back, you just type in if you want what you're doing, and they're like, thumbs up, and, and you do a thing. So that's that's also quite good for when you either can't find a session or you don't want to create one, or you just need to focus right now. And we've also added uh, the Pomodoro technique, so some people like that. And uh, we've also added white sounds, uh, and I've also added the storm which you suggested. So it's quite good. It's my favorite. <laughs> and we've, we've also added those while you're in the call. Because generally people mute themselves. So if you want an extra thing, just add some white. What's the Pomodoro technique for the people out there listening? The Pomodoro technique is when you work distraction-free, hopefully, for 25 minutes, and then you take a short break, five minutes, and you go back and you focus for 25 minutes. You do that, I think, three times, and then you take a longer break, which is 20, 25 minutes, and then you, you, you take the cycle from the beginning. Pomodoro is actually tomato in Italian, and the guy that created it, whose name escapes me, I believe he had a tomato-shaped oven timer, and that's, that's how the name came to be. I love sometimes like how the human brain works when it comes to naming things. Like there's there's the ego that says, oh, I'm going to name this after myself. And then, of course, this guy is just sitting in his thing and he's just using a tomato timer. And he's a meh, I'll call it Pomodoro. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So 
Why do you think the Pomodoro technique is useful to people? Why well, is it useful for you if you use it? I actually haven't used it much, but I know I know a lot of people who do use it. I had somebody at work who was using it, and his alarm was going off every whatever twenty five minutes, and I wasn't I wasn't aware of that technique at that point. So I asked, and and he told me. I think, and this is me thinking, so it could be totally wrong. I think it's because you have a set limit of how much you need to focus, right? And you know your break is coming. So you've got your carrot, I suppose, in this case. You know, you're going to take a break. And 25 minutes is not that much. You know, yes. Can you wait 25 minutes? Ugh, I suppose it's not that bad. I imagine that's why it works. Plus, it gives you a bit of structure. Yeah, structure is super important. But it's just me guessing, so I could be wrong. No, I, I agree with you. For me, the Pomodoro technique is useful because it stops me from hyper-focusing. Well, rephrase. It allows me to hyper-focus, but not to the point of exhausting myself. Yeah. Because we have ADHD, we only have an X amount of mental energy that we can use throughout the day. And knowing that I only have 25 minutes puts that sense of urgency that I need to be able to get that thing done. And as you said, like the carrot, I'm going to take a break in, you know, after 25 minutes. Mm -hmm. And then if I've planned my day correctly, like I'm, I've got my to-do list, which you also have on the website is the little to-do list that you can pop up in there. Yep. You know, having that and doing those things and recognizing that it's only going to take me X amount of time really helps me not have that decision paralysis. And helps me kind of move out of that to just simply starting the process. And I think that's one of those things that I struggle with the most. And a lot of people with ADHD struggle with is the starting. Because usually once we get into it, like the momentum starts flowing and we start yes. moving from thing to thing to thing. Yep. Especially if we've put in place our tools that we need and designed our to-do list the way that we need so that we are moving from one thing to the next without really having to think too much about it. And I really appreciate uh, that about your site. Thank you. You've only got good words. On the topic of starting, so that is something that is is a big issue for me as well. I'm sure, I'm sure many people struggle with starting. Like, you need to go to the gym and oof, you just can't where to actually go or you need to start cleaning your house or whatever it is that you need to do. So let me share a technique with you. And this is something that maybe sounds stupid, but trust me, it works. I've tested many times. So what you do is you start with the smallest possible thing you can think of that will take you towards what you need to do. And then you do that smallest thing and then you do the next thing from that smallest thing. And that's exactly what you do. You're building that momentum. If you think of a snowball rolling downhill, you know, it starts very small, but it really uh, starts growing exponentially. So to give you an example, let's say you are sitting on your couch comfortably watching uh, TV, but you want to go to the gym or you want to clean your house. But what's the smallest thing you can possibly do? Well, your, hand on, your hand's on the couch. You can move your pinky. And then you can just move your hand. And then you can move your, your arm. And then all of a sudden, like, well, this is stupid. I'll just get up already. Well, I'm up. Might as well start cleaning. So for me, that actually works quite a lot. 
It's just start with the smallest possible thing. You know, I 100% understand where you're coming from. One of the things that I use as an example is like how I clean my kitchen. Mm-hmm. Like, I know I need to clean my kitchen. First off, my Alexa goes off, you know, hey, Shane, clean your kitchen. And Alexa is my is my go-to tool to tell me, to remind me to do the things that I need to do. Mm-hmm. Because I can yell at her and tell her to fuck off. I can't say that to my wife because they'll find my body in 10 years and I'll be on a murder mystery show. Yeah. And, you know, I have found that when I hear Alexa say that, I have to make a decision. But my decision is not based on all of the things that I have to do, which is I know like will freeze me up if I have to think about doing the dishes, cleaning the counter, wiping down the island, sweeping, mopping, cleaning out the fridge. That's that's what's all going through my brain when I think about cleaning the kitchen. However, by simply having Alexa saying clean the kitchen, at that point, I have a decision to make that's based on two things, either do it or don't do it. Yeah. And more often than not, I find myself doing that thing. But all I really focus on when I go into the kitchen is simply starting the dishes. Because starting the dishes means just kind of cleaning off the counters, putting them in the sink, rinsing them off, putting them in the dishwasher. Well, now the counters are mostly cleaned off. I just got to take this wet towel that's already in my head and start wiping down the counters and the stove and the island. And I'm just flowing from one thing to the other. And because I'm one of those people who essentially just sweeps all the dirt and crust off the counter into my hand, which also then winds up on the floor... I can now feel it as I'm walking across the floor. Well, I got to grab the broom and sweep all that. I got to do the floor. Right. And then, you know, I've already done that. When I go to put my broom up, the broom is right next to the mop. I might as well grab it. Well, my sink is right there. So I go ahead and fill it, put the pine saw in it. And now wringing out the mop, doing the, you know, the floor and I'm done. I eyeball the fridge and I usually just go, fuck that bullshit. But I do try to do it like once a week. And, you know, but I have a separate alarm for that so that I am not focusing so much on, you know, making sure that I do everything perfectly. And I find that that has always been really true for a lot of people. If we design our homes to be very ADHD friendly or neurodivergent friendly, if we design our to-do list so that we're flowing from one thing to the other without having like hugely drastic changes, I see a lot of improvement in the way that people are able to be productive. Like, I don't clean the kitchen and then go mow the yard, right? I clean the kitchen, and then I may wind up going into the back room and cleaning the back room, because Mm -hmm. that's kind of a natural progression for me, because they're right next to each other. It's just that momentum. Right. And it's just all about designing your to-do list and your, your, your style and your household so that you're able to kind of flow from one thing to the other when you do start it. Because the second we have any kind of setback, we're just going to freeze up and completely lose our shit. Oh, I can't <laughs> find my broom. Where the fuck is my broom? So we hunt down a broom. Oh my God. There's all those loads of clothing I have to wash. And okay, I'm going to, I'm going to load them in the washer. And then, oh, I found the broom and I'm sweeping. And then I completely forget about the clothes that just wound up in the washer. And then it like, it just completely throws us off when we have that. 
Well, it's the same for me. We mentioned starting with the dishes. I generally do that, and then, well, you know, now I got to do the counter. And then, <laughs> well, again, I get to, well, well, now the floor. I need to do the floor. Take out the vacuum. Well, I'm not going to stop here. Just got to do the whole house. And then, of course, at the end, I have one of those uh, with the plastic filter that you empty. And then I see it full. Oh, it's so satisfying to empty that. <laughs> like a, here's my gauge on how well i did cleaning today dump 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 dump, exactly. dump. yep i, I actually that's, get that uh, one that's why software engineers like software engineering because usually it's system results you write your code you run it and you see if it works or not we just want to interject here with a request from all of our listeners out there. We are a nonprofit 501c3 organization, and we are working very hard to bring you amazing content, support, and the resources that everybody with ADHD need to be able to manage things effectively. To that end, we'd love it if you could go to www.mensadhdsupportgroup.org slash donate and consider giving us a donation. You can also find opportunities there to volunteer, to provide other services that we need to build the company. And if you can't volunteer or donate, please consider sharing our information to the other people out there in your life who may need our support and need to be able to have a community of other men who have ADHD who want to bring about a change in how we define masculinity and ADHD together. Thank you. Now back to our show. That's a big question I was really curious about. What got you into software development? Like what, what got you into the engineering aspect of it? Well, that's the first time I touched the computer was I think in eighth grade. I'm from Europe. So eighth grade means I was like, 13 or 14 and I wouldn't really call that a computer because it didn't have a memory and if you wanted to do something you literally did it uh, from audio tapes <laughs> so that's when I yeah no actually it was before that I was in fifth grade when we did that yeah so we would uh, we would we had two for a whole class and we would queue up and we would type our names <laughs> so anyway, I just liked that I thought it was really awesome I just did more of that at school as much as I could. And then uh, I got access to more computers in, in high school. And then finally I got my own computer. And then of course I did what every sane teenager does, which is game until I couldn't game anymore. And then that's when I got interested uh, in web development. So I started building websites, not just for fun, just to understand what it was. So I guess to answer your question, I just had an interest in it. I just found it fascinating. Plus, I was not the the social animal that I'm today. I was really, really shy. And computers can't talk back or criticize. So, perfect, <laughs> perfect combination. Much has changed since. Yeah. I love the fact that like AI now can talk back to you, and we've kind of oh, like yeah. gone full circle. In like introverts were able to be on a computer because they couldn't talk back to us, and now mm-hmm. they can. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. But you can tell it to shut up. That is and true. It will say, and it sometimes says passive aggressive things like, oh, that wasn't very nice. And then it guilt trips you. Like, what? 
Like, don't gaslight me, Alexa. I'm here for this, right? We will argue. <laughs> yep. So, you know, for me, it was a very similar, which, but then there was like this hugely wild divergence from like what you did. Like, I got my first computer when I was 12, and it was like Windows 3.1. And I think we were proud of our 512 megabyte hard drive, which was like top of the line at the time. And quite impressive. And we, you know, we had the 28K modem and we had AOL, which was great, you know, because ironically enough, though, I was super socially awkward in real life because autistic mm -hmm. tendencies and things of that nature. And for me, the computer allowed me to speak to people and think about what I was going to say in yeah. my my tendencies with my hands wouldn't be distracting. My ticks wouldn't be distracting. My stutter wouldn't be so apparent. My lisp wouldn't be, be so apparent. Yeah. And I found that I was like really, really extroverted on a computer. I would go into the Yahoo chat rooms, the AOL chat rooms, and just have a blast having these conversations. Yeah. And of course, my ADHD brain would like keep up with this huge stream of chat and find friends and so like a bunch of my like really initial best friendships started online and it was really eye-opening to me that and it started bleeding over into my real life on top yeah. of the fact that i used the internet as a researcher because like body language right we see like for me it was a body language expert who went on oprah who talked about how body language could be read yeah. And I was like, what? This is a thing? And so I started just reading about body language on the internet. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, it'd take about 15, 20 minutes to download a two-minute video on it. And so watching that and then the more to, the more that I started understanding that, the more ability I had to kind of start gauging people in a logical manner yeah. on their body language and how to react to that in a uh, more appropriate way. Funny enough, you, you said some things that I didn't realize were true for me as well. So I was incredibly shy. I mean, now people don't believe me. Sometimes they generally don't believe me as I was afraid to talk to girls. I don't know if that's a thing for everybody, but anyway, maybe I was special. And that's, that's what we did as well. We were always in these IRC chat rooms or uh, Yahoo Messenger playing chess and that kind of stuff or pool. There was a pool game. I remember that. That was, that was really fun. And yeah, it, it gave us a window into the world. So I discovered the internet about, I don't know, 17, 16. And you had, to, you had to go to an internet cafe. Well, unlike you, I actually started with 56 KB modems. So I win. But it was, it was so expensive. We would, we would usually go online only over weekends or after 10 p.m. when it was, I don't know, five times as cheap or something. Because, you know, we just couldn't afford to, <laughs> to be online all day. Oh, that was something. But yeah, the internet did, did really open up a, a window into the wall. Like, I knew I was shy, but I didn't know what being shy meant. So I met online and I found a lot of information and it explained what I was like. Oh, okay. So that's, that actually helped quite a lot, I think, with those like me. Yeah. For me, it was the, the access to the information. 
mm-hmm. because I tried to get into coding fairly early. We actually had a really good computer science teacher who really did develop systems and like he was super smart about it we'd get into his class and we had an hour and a half class and he'd let us spend the first 30 minutes playing video games and then he would have us start coding i found Mm -hmm. for me coding was horrifying like i understood the lingo i understood how to do it but typing that much that often just kind of drove me insane yeah however my skill set turned into somebody needing to know certain information and me being able to go and find it and do the aol search for whatever they were looking for and then give them the information and then they were coding it and our teacher didn't force us to code if we weren't any kind of coder he would then say okay well here, we're going to also have you put together the computers and we're going to learn how to put them together and, you know, how to give these people the ability to do it. So there would be one corner of the classroom where we're essentially just getting our A-plus certification in putting together computers and figuring out how to boot up the the operating system and reformat the hard drives, figuring out how to solder together different things and putting together all the motherboards and all that stuff. And I found a real, a a lot of joy in that aspect of it. And that's where I found my skill set when it came to computers. And that's also where I learned to delegate to other people like, Hey, I've got this computer for you. I need you to go ahead and do all the programming for it. And they would go and they would troubleshoot any issues or they would sit here and they would go into it and figure out, all right, we need to put this operating system on it, da, 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 and then they would program all that. And, you know, I just find it really fun to see how two people who apparently have a very similar background went in wildly divergent paths yeah. that are very parallel. Yeah. I had a, a, you reminded me of my, one of my high school physics teachers. So he was, 30-something, I think, at that point. But he was really into computers and coding. And I was as well. So my colleagues would sometimes say, oh, when he comes in, why don't you ask him some computing technical question? And then we'll waste half the hour. <laughs> so they, they, they would sometimes ask him questions, and we would just spend half an hour just talking about things, and everybody else was just sitting there listening or whatever they were they were doing. He was, I really, really liked him. He was such a, such a good man. We would... We would compare notes. I'm using this software, and he's like, "Oh, I'm using this software. Oh, what do you like about that?" Because he was also learning web development, just like me. So I had a almost like a a physics teacher thing because my physics teacher was much the same, and physics was one of my favorite classes because it would challenge me to think way outside the box. I love Mm -hmm. science. Science has always been my thing, and we would often there was like two or three of us who very much the same concept like hey get him to talk about you know the big bang theory and see if we can just get some of this and and he knew it he would be like okay now that we've wasted 30 minutes of time on this conversation let's actually get into what we're actually supposed to be talking about and the whole class would like you know then he would just but he was one of those physicists who would experiment in class and make us yeah. experiment in class. And 
he would have fun with it. And when somebody would break something, because, you know, he would throw in chemistry and other things like that in there. When someone would break something, he never got angry about it. Mm-hmm. He's like, all right, everybody stop. Let's get together. Let's find out what happened. Yeah. All right. You mix blah, 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 blah with this and this and this and this. What did we talk about proportions and why is it important to make sure we're putting the accurate amount in there? Well, when we don't, this is what happens. And now we're going to have to get the counter cleaned off because apparently you made hydrochloric acid. Oh, you know, a bad one. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like, you know, but he was always also about safety. So even when we did those things, when we were playing with anything that could cause those kinds of issues, he made us wear the certain gear and make sure that we had yeah. that possibility taken care of. And it was always learning from our mistakes and always learning from our failures it was never making us feel guilty or crappy for making the same mistake because one of his favorite phrases was a child would eventually always say, Oh, I keep making the same mistakes. He's like, no, I doubt that very seriously. You probably make similar mistakes, Mm -hmm. but you most likely have made slight changes in how you did things. And that's how science works. You know, Every time we make a mistake, we have to sit down and, you know, we're going to probably make a similar mistake, but now we have new data to look at and how we can move forward to make that a part of our success. And he would make us write papers on the different mistakes that we would, would make until we got to a success. And then he would cheer us on for understanding the process. And I thought that that was really fascinating. Yeah, that is that is actually something that I wish somebody would have told me when I was young in these exact terms, you know. Learn from your mistakes. It's normal, they happen. Um, we tend to really avoid failure or like we're embarrassed by failure, which is not really the right approach because um, if you don't fail or if you don't make mistakes, it means you're not doing anything. It's not difficult to fail at sitting on a couch, right? But it is difficult. It is easy to fail building a business or, you know, Absolutely. asking somebody out on a date or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, but as long as uh, you embrace failure, you pick the pockets of failure, make sure you're holding tight, pick the pockets, steal everything you can in terms of learning from that failure. And then you kick failure out of the curb. Because now you're done. But make sure you learn from that, from that experience. That's why you fall, so you can get up. So it's a a really valuable lesson. So we've kind of gotten off topic, but that's okay, because I love the flow of the conversation and everything. So let's jump back into the Focus 101. Yeah. You know, as you're kind of looking at it, what kind of feedback have you gotten from others as far as how your website works for them or how the process works for them? Well, the more... The more users we get, the the better the feedback gets. Because when we first launched, which is a little over a year ago, well, the feedback was non-existent because nobody knew we existed, right? And then as I got a user here, a user there, I would join them in session and I'd find, I'd find issues or we would see that something doesn't work. So we, we kept iterating. So this is that embracing failure. Uh, it wasn't perfect. It didn't work that great to begin with. But uh, now... Now we're getting good feedback. We just had a user last week, I think, 
she she joined and like two days later i got a message oh i love this uh, which i'm gonna quote why why to say from memory she said a user here been trying it out since a few days ago and i just want to say that this is an amazing platform as it makes us be more productive be more accountable really grateful kudos to the creators so of course that literally gives me a warm fuzzy feeling i share with the <laughs> i share with the rest of the team it, it feels good that's the kind of feedback we're getting and that's that's not the only one really after i think uh, few months uh, after I launched and my wife didn't actually try it. A few months, but that I mean like 10. She did sign up, but she never joined. She's like, oh, what? And then she finally did. And she said, oh, I, I went in session. I joined this guy and actually managed to get that testing. So it was something she was really frustrated over. She works from home just like me. So I hear her from downstairs. Oh, what the hell? This doesn't make any sense. Oh. I, I didn't hear shouting in session. So it really worked for her. She actually managed to stay focused. So her feedback was, wow, it really works. And I was like, no, really? You don't say. I didn't sleep on the couch, if you're wondering. <laughs> Where is it going next? What's How is Focus 101 going to evolve going forward? And, you know, what kinds of things are you trying to put in place, especially with like neurodivergent people, what kind of, how do you want to make this service more accessible? So we're in the background, which is stuff that you probably won't see. Maybe you would, but it's, we're, we're doing a lot of changes re regarding uh, performance and bug fixing. So there are things that don't work as well as I want them to. So we're doing a lot of that in the background. Um, but what we're really doing and I say we mostly me, um, I really listen to what users say, right? So if, if they message me, especially with a feature request or a bug, I know it's bugging them, haha, <laughs> it's a bug, or there's something that they're actually lacking. So I'm making my point to obsessively listen. So I'll probably be emailing everybody at some point to ask for feedback as well, like what did you like and what you didn't like? Because I can imagine all sorts of features but to others, they maybe are not necessary. So that is quite a uh, quite a bad thing that people are doing software. I don't have enough users. I'll just add more features, and they just keep adding more and more features that nobody wants. So I would say that whatever people want, that's what I will be building. If, if I get messages, okay, actually has a pain point, then I will, I will try to add that. So what's coming next? Feature-wise, I don't know specifically, but there will be things. Uh, some, are, some I know, but I'm keeping a surprise, and some others, whatever users will say. That was actually how we connected, was I was so impressed by you responding to my feedback so quickly. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. you know, that's something I really appreciate whenever companies really do value the voice of their customers and not really kowtowing to them or anything, but at the same time, really taking, uh, you know, the opportunity to say, I hear you. And yeah. that makes me feel invested in the company. Now, the other side of this that I really enjoyed about it is your service is free. Why yeah. are you, why are you providing all of this for free? And, you know, 
are you going to do like a switch around on us eventually or what what's going to be the plan going forward as far as that's concerned i'm, I'm just not a very good businessman so <laughs> giving it away right so what i did especially at your prodding as well i did add a biasa coffee button so if anybody wants to support us there is that that option and no self in life or try as best as i can to the principle of don't be an asshole so I don't want to do the switcheroo because I've, I've been at the receiving end of a switcheroo. Look at this a great, amazing e-banking service. And now they just keep adding more and more fees, taking away features. Oh, now you want to do this that used to be free? Well, tough luck. Now we got a fee. So no, I, I don't want to do that. At some point, we will probably add a premium plan, which will either make, or probably make it as, as pay what you can. Because uh, we've got users from all over the world. So we've got users from Asia who don't think are in a position to pay 20 bucks a month. But then again, we've also got users from the USA who maybe are in a position to pay 20 bucks. Um, and when we do, if we do, uh, I will definitely not be removing any of the features we already have. Uh, we will just be giving you extra things or um, priority things like you get access to new features first or that kind of stuff. But no, I don't want to take things away. That's amazing, man. And we're actually seeing that with a number of other companies that are starting to realize that giving people a free service that has a lot of the features that make it really functional and then simply adding another tier where people get access to it at, you know, a, a much you know less expensive rate is really the way to go when it comes to creating, you know, sustainable businesses moving forward. You know, there's things like Fathom AI, the note taker uh, mm -hmm. tool that's out there that's free and yeah. it's really accurate. And it's got a lot of really great features and they essentially call themselves doing a beta, but at the same time, you know, I've talked to some of the different people in there. They never plan to take away the current features, but they are going to add premium features in the future. Yeah and give people the option to sign into it, but not losing the features that it currently has, which I find fascinating. You know, so it's really good to hear somebody who seems to have such an abundance mindset when it comes to business. And you said you're a bad businessman and everything. <laughs> and I laughed a whole lot, but I was on mute. You know, but I think what is really happening is you're more of an innovative abundance mindset businessman and moving forward with that. Yeah, I, I think there is enough for everybody. Uh, I appreciate that. You were you were talking about listening to users. So yes, there is that thing on the sidebar, and I get the message, and I always check it, like whenever I see it. So usually, like within the hour. And uh, one of the great things about listening to the users is because you can envision and build a product, but if people don't like it, it's tough. You know, the market will decide if you've got a product. And to give you a cool story, so there was this company in the United States, I can't remember which of the many states, and they were building scooters, uh, which weren't selling very well. They weren't very good, except in one of the states, let's say Montana, but it's probably not that. And they couldn't understand why they were selling so many. So they went and they checked, and apparently farmers were buying them, taking out the engines and using them to drive pumps irrigation pumps. So it wasn't a very good scooter, 
but the engine was very good for driving pumps. So what did the company say? They didn't say, you're not supposed to use it like this, use it like this. They said, cool, I guess the market decided we're a water pump company now. And then they, they switched. The market decides. Well, now I have a new hyper-focus to research. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you could find out that I was wrong and I made it up. I mean, it sounds uh, plausible because that's definitely something that my dad would have done. Actually, I think he did do it with a motorcycle engine. I read it on the internet, so it must be true. There you go. So, all right. We're at the time of the uh, podcast where, you know, we kind of start wrapping things up. So, you know, what do you want people to know about Focus 101 and why should they be using your service over others that are out there? Uh, yes, my lack of business uh, acumen is going to come out again. Uh, I say try us, see if you like us, send us a message with a feature, with a bug, with criticism. And if it doesn't work for you, that's totally fine. Um, there are lots of other competitors uh, which you can try. After starting to build this, I discovered a competitor and then another, and I think we're like about 10 right now. Some cost 40 bucks, so I can go and pay 40 bucks so you can try it for free, cost you nothing. Plus, uh, we're good people. I don't know about the others. I imagine they are. Man, it has been so much fun, Christian. I really appreciate having you on. I enjoy working with you. I think you do an amazing job, and I love that you're providing this service for free to people. It's such a valuable service, and I just want to say thank you. My pleasure. I do it for karma points, though. So, Oh, well, you know, there's just that little bit of selfishness. Next life, maybe we'll see some good things happening. Well, it, it... I did it, and I do it for free, right? But I have met, and I'm not exaggerating, I'm not saying this is a shameless plug, but I have met really a lot of cool people, including yourself. I've met people who are writing books, and I got a copy of the book in in ebook format. He's currently doing the, the recording. Um, I've met a lot of interesting people. I, I see people struggling to wake up and show up to the meeting, but they somehow model through and they show up. I've met people from Asia. I've met people from everywhere. It's been quite interesting. A lot of connections that I wouldn't have had otherwise. That was, that was really cool. And it's cool. Well, keep up the great work, man. I really appreciate you coming on. You have a great day, okay? And you, Shane. Nice talking to you. This has been brought to you by the Men's ADHD Support Group, a nonprofit 501c3 organization dedicated to changing the narrative about what it means to be a man living with ADHD. Copyright 2023.